Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sheila Shoiga, and welcome to Ready to Be Real Conversations, the podcast series where I chat to people of all walks of life. Some names you'll recognise, others you might not, but my hope is that these conversations will at times inspire, challenge, educate, comfort, or simply entertain you. In this episode, I speak to writer and podcaster, the wonderful Sophie White. I guess my original diagnosis was drug-induced psychosis. But in a way now, it's it, with the bigger, the fuller picture of the 15 years since, you know, it's very possible that was my first manic episode being triggered in a way or something like that. Yeah. Because obviously with the kind of mania, I can get very obsessive thoughts that are not rational, you know, and like, you know, I've had that as recently, like I said, as 2020 or like I had a, quite a bad episode in 2018 where I... Uh, became totally convinced that I was possessed and this is what was wrong with me. Okay. So it's just, an, uh, it's hectic inside my brain. <laughs> Sophie lives in Dublin with her husband, Seb, and their three sons who are two, five and eight. She graduated from the National College of Art and Design in Dublin with a first class honours degree in sculpture. She's been a chef and she's written five books so far. And in this conversation, we talk about mental breakdowns, regrets, the juggle of being a working mother, the unfixable pain of grief, her latest book, The Snag List and pole dancing. It's certainly one of the most eclectic conversations I've had on the podcast so far. And at times it may be a difficult episode for some. So please do check the show notes before you listen to make sure you're prepared in advance. Here it is. Sophie, thank you so much for being here. I'm delighted to be here. I always laugh at the beginning of podcasts because they always start with like a thanks for coming and the other person's like thrilled to be here. And I always want to be like, it'd be funny if just one time someone was like, well, yeah, you asked me, so I'm here. Uh, no, I am really happy to be here. I think for once I will actually start the pod with 
the intro. I tend to always cut out the awkward hello and welcome and and thank you and <laughs> yes. you're and great to see you. I always start like about a minute in with the first question because I always find that a little bit of a, a non-event. But thank you for making it an event. <laughs> I made it an event. <laughs> I can't be trusted with any social interaction at all. I was on telly last night. I was talking to Greg O'Shea, who is a distractingly handsome yes. and charming person. <laughs> and we were talking about my new book and, you know, <laughs> He was like, what's it about? And I was like, Jesus, Greg, it's hard to boil it down. It's got everything except maybe cannibalism. <laughs> and like I was live on TV at 6 p.m. And like I'd say, Greg just did, he just kind of fell apart momentarily, just from the blink of an eye. And then he was back on track. But like, yeah. I, I think I threw what? him. He just hadn't been expecting for me to bring up cannibalism so quickly in the conversation. See, that's what you do. You discombobulate people. <laughs> <laughs> right. So let's let's now start our chat. And I, I suppose we're kind of going we're going deep into a pretty extreme experience in your life which happened at the electric picnic yeah in 2007 yeah yeah so you were having a great old time until you weren't totally yeah I feel like um so this kind of kicked off my first breakdown um I have a best of breakdowns now (laughs) at the age of 37 I've collected a lot of them I'm like oh my god you know I'm a pro but nothing hits quite like your first breakdown (laughs) Um, the first cut is the deepest um so yeah it was 2007 and I'd finished college um just earlier that summer so your early 20s I was 22 I feel like in a way this is like what kicked off adulthood for me um in a way like even though I'd had kind of like you know, some kind of difficult things in the years before, like my dad was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's, like, mm. and it wasn't like, you know, it was, a, maybe, you know, it was coming on, you know, in the kind of years preceding. And then so, again, as you said, it's early. So he was only in his 50s. Yeah. So he's quite early 50s. And uh, so, you know, I'd had like, you know, I suppose bits and pieces of kind of challenging things. But I feel like my first breakdown was like, absolute being just drop kicked into adulthood and it was the kind of first lesson in my life of like you can do something and it can be irrevocable like it can just have consequences that you cannot fix um so yeah so basically i took a pill um at electric picnic and um just was like pitched headfirst into like just this monstrous trip it was just a horrendous um i kind of always remember being at the back of the tent and I think it was too many DJs um, playing and I was coming up and I was like oh too many drugs oh no like and I had in college like I think I thought I was quite like a low-key sensible drug taker yeah. um, because I think you can always find someone who's like worse than you to kind of be like well yeah, I mean, I'm not as tapped as him yeah not as tapped as that guy I'm doing okay and I'm showing up for life and you know um, so you know I certainly had a lot of experiences with drugs um, and you know it had always just so been so this wasn't your first ecstasy tablet no no and but it was the first really bad trip bad experience mm. and like I just I remember being in this tent it was like obviously thousands of people just crammed into this tent and like I felt the first kind of uh, effects of the drug and it almost felt like this like heat moving up my body and like I think when it's going well like it's pleasant but it was like everything had this like nightmarish tilt to it like I just suddenly felt like really 
deeply unwell everything around me just suddenly had taken on this like sinister cast and I felt like this is this madness oh my god like I my brain can't take this it wasn't hallucinations as such um like which I had experienced in the past like with kind of magic mushrooms and things but it was just like you know when you're in a nightmare and everything is just drenched in dread and there is just this unshakable sense of of impending disaster like that was suddenly what like flooded into my body like at the rate of knots like I just was suddenly kind of spiraling um inside and I and I suppose it's it's like the absolute opposite of what what the the purpose of of taking E is yes, you're meant it to, was like not ecstatic yeah I felt like I was on the edge of this like high cliff and it was terrifying and I just felt like I was in the grip of this thing, you know, and um, I kind of I didn't want to say anything to the people I was with um, because I kept kind of being like, it'll be okay, you'll be okay. You know, this is just, you know, a bad feeling. You know, you're just having a bad time. It's going to pass. You know, this will be out of your system in a matter of hours. So I was kind of trying to talk myself down. I wish now I'd just gone straight to the first aid tent. Okay. I think that they probably could have given something to me to kind of short circuit all the kind of panic and terror, maybe. Mm. And I think maybe it might have changed the outcome, but I didn't. I went, I was like, I'll get back to my tent. I just need to kind of keep drinking water, just try and stay, just try and ride it out. So you're trying to be rational. Yeah, and, yeah. And just like work through it. Yeah. Work through it. And I kind of found my way back to the tent. And I just remember like going through these fields of crowds and like, just feeling so unsafe inside my own body it you know I just felt like I was suddenly becoming possessed by this kind of you know just this foreign entity like it was I really can't stress enough how terrifying it was and um so I found my way back to my tent and you know lying in the tent I just tried to ride out the hours and like oh my god it's just like to this day like the most nightmarish terrifying longest night of my life like I did kind of hallucinate I think at moments when I was in the tent because I remember thinking I was speaking to my parents and telling them that I'd killed their daughter and like all this really messed up stuff and trying to just keep drinking water keep hydrated you know just trying to kind of flush it out almost Mm -hmm. and kind of sometime near morning I kind of fell asleep I think and I woke up and I was like it's over it's you're okay like it's over I'm never doing that again like but you're okay you're safe were you on your own well my boyfriend had come back at the kind of like at dawn you know the way electric picnic he's my husband now yeah yeah so he'd come back and I still hadn't I'd kind of sort of been like oh I wasn't I didn't have that great night but like I'm fine and you know we just I mean we were 22 so like I don't think we were like massively checking in with each other but like he was very sweet to me obviously as as always and so I remember getting out of the tent and like you know the way it was the uh, it was the Sunday morning of electric picnic so we're kind of packing up a bit and getting ready to go and you know I felt a bit like shaky obviously like hungovery shaky but I was like very much like thank god that's over I'm safe thank god and then I remember just making my way back to the car and we were carrying all our stuff 
and all of the feelings from the la- the night before came rushing back to me. It was like I was it, li- it was like I'd just taken the pill again. God. And I had this like sense of just utter shock, like that it was happening again. And what did this mean? And like, how could it be happening again? Like I hadn't taken anything. And like all of my vision was really distorted the way it had been the night before. This sense of like everything around me looked tiny, looked fake, like little doll people. Oh, like it was God, so it's so scary. Scary. It was I mad. mean, listening to is 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 obviously completely different to experiencing <laughs> it. And it seems like still despite the fact that it's many years ago now yeah yeah it's still so fresh in your mind yeah I think I can go back there like and really feel it and see it again because I mean it was just such a I guess traumatizing experience because I suppose the thing is when you experience something like that it's like the first time that you realize your brain can turn on you and what it means if your brain turns on you, it means the end of everything. Like, you know, we need, like it's how we process the world. It it makes us, every part of us functions because of our brain. And yeah. if you, if your brain turns on you, like, like I said, it's the end of everything. It's at the end of you. Like what I said to my parents when I was hallucinating that I murdered their daughter felt real. Like it felt like a good representation of what had happened. And it felt that way for years. Like I, f- I felt like I did murder myself. I wasn't the same person ever again. It was also, it just had such long reverberations this yeah. one night, this one decision. And like, I'm not saying like, poor me. I think for years, I also felt this kind of deep sense of shame mm-hmm. about having brought it on myself and how like what I did affected everyone in my life. Like my mother was already dealing with her husband having this, like just so devastating illness and my dad was obviously navigating it and then like and then I rock up and I'm like I've had a nervous breakdown from drugs I'm sorry so what you were beating yourself up and and oh yeah I mean I remember that very day like the first day of my new kind of existence yeah I I couldn't believe it was happening again and I was terrified by this I this sense that like you know what have I done to myself okay. and will I be free of it and like the thing is I think if you had told me on that day like no you won't be free of it for like you know not completely for years and it'll really always underpin your your life and your yeah, kind of okay. whole experiences I, I don't know if it could have gone on you know because that was just that would Too have been just such a huge yeah. kind of thing to handle and so I think everything at the beginning of those first days and weeks after it, when every day was this relentless terror, I had this sense of like, I can ride it out. I'll ride this out. It will be okay. And I was terrified to go to the doctor, for example. Um, bearing in mind, this was like 2007. Like even the internet wasn't really a part of my life. Yeah, it okay. existed, but it wasn't really a part of my life. I didn't have anyone in my eyeline really that was kind of reporting going through anything like this. Like I only had the worst case scenarios kind of in my head of like, this is madness, this is what it is. And it was in a way, yeah, it totally was. But I guess that there wasn't yet this discourse in the main- I get you. About kind of like having mental illness, living with it and maybe living well with it, you know? All I could see was that this 
well, as I kind of carried down this road and it was into kind of October of 2007 into November and there was no let up. Like every morning I'd wake up and I'd, I felt normal in my dreams. It was so strange. It was like reverse life. Okay. My whole days felt like a nightmare. And in my dreams, it was respite. And okay, wow. I'd wake up in the morning and I'd feel for like a single second. Was I was I okay again? Oh my God, am I me again? Am I normal? And it would just, it was like when something really, you know, when you're grieving and you mm. wake up in the mornings and you forget for a minute that you've lost this person. It was like that. I forgot for a minute that I'd lost my mind and then it would be straight back to same things. And it all got, I mean, it actually intensified. Uh, you know, it wasn't going away. It was actually getting worse. Like I was experiencing kind of auditory sort of hallucination-y stuff whispering in my ears constantly I couldn't look in the mirror like the strangest things would happen like I couldn't look in the mirror because I was terrified I looked wrong you see to myself and okay. it felt really just like an like a horror movie like um I felt like everyone around me as well I started you see to get these really obsessive cycling thoughts um that are irrational and it's hard I think when people if I describe them it'll just sound like why how could you be convinced of this but I was convinced of this so mm. I was convinced that my my life hadn't been real that like the memories of my life weren't real they were like a construction I was convinced that the people in my life had been kind of replaced like I, I felt um I was so disconnected from reality like that my whole, I had this kind of abiding fear that I was going mad. And I mean, it was absolutely true, you know? Um, I had this sensation that even still, like I get really kind of like angsty talking about it because I sometimes feel like, what if I invite it all back in? But like I have, I'm much more attuned with my mental illness now. So yeah, I was about to ask you how you feel about revisiting this time in your life and talking about it because it's not an easy thing to do no it's not but I do think that I have like put a lot of years between me and the first uh, breakdown and I know that I got through it now do you know yeah. so it's a it's it's taken the kind of uh like intensity out of it especially writing about it a yeah, lot okay that and, helps yeah and understanding it better now mm when you say mental illness, mm. um, like, do you feel like pre electric picnic September 2007 that mental illness wasn't part of your life and that this episode brought it on or was it an underlying thing um, that this was just the catalyst for this, I suppose, breakdown? Yeah, it's really hard to say, isn't it? Like sometimes I kind of think that, you know, it wasn't like that pill in isolation that it was maybe accumulate cumulative kind of thing you know I obviously in the years before kind of like smoked a lot of weed and taken a lot of different drugs and so you know yeah <laughs> it's very hard to kind of pinpoint isn't it um and like in my teens and stuff I had been very average I hadn't experienced anything uh you know I'd experienced my friends like having issues themselves you know um but I didn't understand it at the time you know like yeah. I obviously 
was worried and sad, but I didn't understand what they were going through. Mm. So no, there wasn't like a history really um, with me. Um, so, so it was very, very frightening. And I remember just, um, I think the kind of final thing that kind of pushed me into getting medical treatment was one night I was washing the dishes just after dinner. Cause like, even when you're having a nervous breakdown, you still have to like wash the dishes. <laughs> Although my life was not normal. Like my life didn't look anything like my life before. Like I didn't see people. I didn't, you know, I couldn't function. Okay. Um, I had a job in a bookshop uh, at the time and I tried to keep it up, like tried to keep going. I eventually, around two months after, kind of couldn't do it anymore. I, you know, I, which sounds like, oh my God, you really? <laughs> it's a bookshop. It was a lovely secondhand bookshop. Um, but I really couldn't be there anymore. I was there alone a lot. I was the kind of main only employee and it just was the sight of so much terror and trauma then like for me that after a while I was like I have to get out of here because I just so associated it with the breakdown and so I was washing the dishes at night and I just got this like totally bizarre sensation that like my right arm didn't belong to me anymore which is really hard to describe but it was like a kind of I had this aversion to my right arm and it felt like I wasn't in control of it and that it was I can hear how it sounds and I just thought like this is so far from normal experience right now that I don't trust myself anymore I think that's the other thing I started to get really frightened that I was going to hurt someone and like just my thoughts just obsessively focused on all of these different things my I wasn't real my life wasn't real it's always going to hurt someone I remember my boyfriend being like oh I, like I think I can take it don't worry he's a big guy mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know eventually I went to John of God's and you know I saw a psychiatrist for the first time yeah leading up to that there mm-hmm. was a when you speak about the the bookshop am I right in thinking there was somebody there or you had a conversation with somebody that basically led you to uh, you know, bring yourself to St. John of God's. That is true. Sorry. Yes, there was uh, my replacement. When I gave okay. him my notice, I was training in my replacement and um, this totally fab guy. And it was I had not been honest with any of my close friends about what was happening at all. Um, oh, was that the shame thing? Yeah. Yeah. And just the I just thought, Didn't oh, they're go going to. Yeah. I was like, oh, they're going to think I'm attention seeking while I'm absolutely losing it uh, in a very real way and again because I just think the whole stigma of mental illness like Mm, it mm. is still prevalent like there's some mental illnesses that are like really really disgust and it's so great like depression and anxiety have been pulled to the forefront and but, you know, I think that there is still so much stigma about things like schizophrenia and psychosis. And but there's still just this swathe of illness that aren't, aren't really acknowledged. And basically back then, even like depression, yeah. anxiety, very misunderstood. And, and not and spoken about. What, yeah, what, what? never mind like drug-induced psychosis, which sure. is kind of what I ultimately was kind okay, of diagnosed with. Okay, I was going to ask, yeah. And um, so I met this guy... Um, and he just had had this like identical experience and okay. it was so a lot like it was so similar to what I'd experienced that I actually thought I was hallucinating him. And oh, right. um, again, 
I just everything that mm. happened is experienced through the prism of a sick mind. And so, I mean, in the end, I was like, whether I'm hallucinating him or not, you know, I need he had gotten treatment and he talked about the kind of medications he'd been um, given and the same like in 2007, like obviously I just was so sheltered and close minded, I guess, that I just thought psychiatric medication, it'll change who I am. I can't. It's scary. And, you know, so again, as you said, the awareness that we have now just wasn't there, wasn't in the mainstream. Yeah, well, I certainly didn't feel it was in the mainstream. Like maybe I was looking in the wrong places. And I think the stories that were there were like maybe sensationalized a bit. Like I remember reading Prozac Nation when I was in my teens by Elizabeth Wurzel. And, you know, her story was chaotic. She was talented and but she was kind of like that sort of um, like tortured kind of beautiful mess. Mm. And it was kind of this one representation of madness that I feel like we did see a little bit with women. That kind of girl interrupted kind of you know it was not positive like it wasn't here's these people who actually you know you can be relatively high functioning or you can have really good periods of wellness when you're mentally ill so it was just not the stories that I was just not seeing a way out of this um and I also had begun to um have suicidal thoughts because Mm. I don't think you can live like this for long without eventually it just it's seeming like you know you're really sick when it death seems like kind of hope Mm. I used to think about it and plan and it was like that was the only thing that would end all this it would be respite it would be kind of salvation it would be the end of it all and when you you say plan like how far along the line if it's not too too much to ask like how far did you go with the idea of of ending it I guess I felt like I definitely knew what I was going to do right and um I I kind of had a sense of when and I had a sense that I had a responsibility to my family and the people who loved me to try one last thing okay and the thing is now I think trying to go to the psychiatrist is not the great kind of crossing the Rubicon that I thought it was at the time. Um, but I, I did, I just was afraid that it would all be confirmation that I was mad, that I'd gone mad, you know. Wasn't that divine timing in its own way, whether you believe it or not? I I, I mean, I suppose I personally do that, whether I, I, I take it this guy was real, but whether at the time you believed he was a hallucination <laughs> or not, it still led you to uh, a place that ultimately helped you. Yes, oh my God, yes. Completely saved my life, like, and um, yeah, I and even though the kind of initial experiences with my psychiatrist and stuff, they're very kind of muddied by my own sick mind, you know, uh, I had a lot of paranoia about them, uh, you know, and now looking back, I'm like, God, it was really proof that I needed to be there. You know, I remember thinking that they were trying to hypnotize me. Like, again, I kind of say all this because it's so... I just think it's so relevant to talking about mental illness. It's like with depression. I think sometimes people think depression, they think sad. And I just feel like there's so many ways of experiencing depression and all of them are unbearable. 
and it's not I'm down it's sometimes I'm frightened I'm so scared every minute of my day it's intolerable sometimes it's like anger you know what I mean it's just or just a mania just hopeless whatever yeah there's such a huge amount of symptoms yeah yeah like um like I have bipolar and so that is kind of huge highs huge lows and sometimes a flip between them that is so fast it is it's sometimes I even am marveling I'm like wow I felt normal this morning oh god you know and do you know what your triggers are um I mean I'm getting better at recognizing the onset and I have like a kind of an almost pushing the red button medication that is something that I can use when I just need to kind of almost short circuit it okay like there's been times where it has escalated and I was hospitalized in 2020 after kind of an episode of kind of mania and then a huge um low um Mm. and again like low is not like sad I wasn't sad I was just so empty and blank and that's kind of how I experiencing how I experienced the low and it's like it is the absolute I mean bipolar it's the polar opposite of the high in that in the high I'm so full of thoughts and energy and uh you know and that also sounds like it could almost be parlayed and some, into something useful but it becomes so overwhelming and unmanageable it just gets on top of you and you are completely out of control so yeah so basically i mean i've been treated you know i guess my original diagnosis was drug-induced psychosis but in a way now it's it, with the bigger, the fuller picture of the 15 years since, you know, it's very possible that was my first manic episode being triggered in a way or something like that. Yeah. Because obviously with the kind of mania, I can get very obsessive thoughts that are not rational, you know, and like, you know, I've had that as recently, like I said, as 2020 or like I had a, quite a bad episode in 2018 where I uh became totally convinced that I was possessed and this is what was wrong with me okay. so it's just an uh, it's hectic inside my brain <laughs> um so yeah so but I feel like I'm see I'm one of the really lucky people I think in that like when I'm well I'm well and like my psychiatrist always uses this phrase for me and I think it's like I really love it I really it gives me a lot of comfort he's like you're very well put together you're a well put together person you have this thing but you're well put together and I think that like I kind of sometimes worry like I talk so much about all this stuff and I'm just banging my drum and people will be like I roll you know but at the same time I do feel like there's loads of people that have the same kind of illnesses as me and they don't have a voice they're or just... they're not comfortable to speak about it because what really struck me about listening mm. to you is you know you've spoken about shame and shame being a part of it particularly mm. in the beginning and mm. struggling with that but it seems like you're in a place now where you are clearly and you've spoken about it not just here but you know you've written about it you've spoken about it many times before mm. but there's such an openness about speaking about very difficult things that you've mm. had to contend with in life mm. which is very empowering um for you primarily but also for those around you are those who listen or who read who find themselves in similar situations and may not have just they might not be there yet to speak about it yeah um yeah. to anyone to anyone but yet you are here saying okay so I know this is the crack with me um and yes you know I've, I've I you know I've done a lot of work and I'm I, I take it you're probably still always aware that 
as you said, as recent as 2020, things can just go awry on you. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's, even, that's a great place to be, though, that you're 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 owning it. Yeah, yeah. I feel very lucky that I have had all the care that I've had. Um, and like, I feel very strongly that there's huge gaps in this country in terms of access to care. Yeah. And that that's life and death stuff. And so, you know, in the same breath as saying like, yes, I've engaged with it, uh, my, my illness, like, and I, there is an element of, you know, keeping yourself kind of well insofar as you can. There is also just enormous privilege in, you know, the fact that I could say, for example, you know, I was hospitalized and my health insurance covered it. I get you, yeah. And, you know, that's massive. Yeah. Absolutely massive. And it was massive that I could ring my, like I have a, you know, a history in that hospital. I've been treated there for however long. And I was able to ring and be admitted the next morning. Yeah. And that is not the reality for the vast majority of people like in this country. It's just, yeah. so yeah, it's, um, I suppose like I'm privileged to uh, have any kind of voice about it, mm. but you know, I'm only one voice and you know, so I do think we have to kind of keep listening Yeah, and no one's untouched by this. Do you know what I mean? No. How so, long did you spend in um, St. John of God's? Oh, I was an outpatient in 2007. So I was treated like and monitored really closely. Um, and I think it probably would have been uh, on the cusp of, you know, should I go in, should I not? And I was just so resistant to going in. Okay. Like it obviously had been put to me a lot. Um, but I just, I couldn't cope with the idea that I would be a person who'd been hospitalized with this. So there was a distinction in my mind and I, God, I just think if anyone, like, I just feel like if anyone's listening, go to hospital if you are advised. It is so beneficial, like truly, yeah. like it got me well so quickly in 20. Well, not quickly, but I was able then to deal with the kind of aftermath at home in 2020, you know, like, but it was so, so beneficial. And in 2020, you had just had your third son. Yeah, yeah. So like life is hectic. Yeah, yeah, it was very hectic in 2020, like for everyone, like really. But yeah, my son was born just before the first lockdown. So it was one of the last lucky few who had a normal um, maternity experience. Yeah. Um, and it's just criminal what mothers and parents uh, experienced in this country. Like yeah. I really feel like everyone was let down so much. Um, Absolutely. And yeah. Uh, and one of your other guests, Amy DeVroon, she's had uh, just amazing things to say about this. Yeah, um, for sure. And lent her platform to it and everything back uh, when there was the march um, for maternity. Yeah. But yeah, it was a very hectic time. Yeah, like everyone, I think I'd been planning to take a maternity leave. So I work for myself, as as it were, like, um, and I'd been planning to take a maternity leave. And... My baby came early for starters. So remember that was a funny one. He was three weeks early and oh my God, I had scheduled myself up to the hour of my delivery or due date. And I remember he was very young and I still had, I was working on edits oh, I for get my, that. yeah, yeah, completely. I think any working mother, any mother in general, like you're always just so stretched. And I was doing edits on my, uh, it's my third book. And I, geez, I remember, you know, when they're like, like days old 
and like did you sleep a lot but I remember like I'd bring him in the car to lull him to sleep he'd be in the back and then I'd park up by the beach over at, uh, by the south wall and do my edits in the front seat of the car and like that wasn't ideal no, <laughs> I can no. really see that now yeah. and I feel like how many babies does it take for us to realize that the fourth trimester is a thing yeah and I do think it's actually that culturally it's not recognized enough mm-hmm. um and so you know I think we constantly ask like can I power through instead of should I power through and so I was I was powering through yeah. and then when the pandemic hit obviously I think the whole every one of us was suddenly swept up in this massive anxiety about finances yeah. well that I mean primary health and our loved ones but finances like what was going to happen to everyone's job and um, like my husband works in live events and that felt like that was it, well there was an initial initial terror that that was going to just go down the drain yeah. you know yeah. and I obviously work I write I'm a writer so it definitely feels a bit like it's the icing on top of uh, <laughs> work kind of of you know what I mean it's not the most essential industry in the world so I was like oh my god what's going to happen and so I immediately took every bit of work I could yeah. um, in those first months I didn't turn anything down um, and I did get to do some stuff that I'm really proud of like I actually wrote a pandemic diary for the Irish Independent and it was a great thing to do, but I did have a week's old baby. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So let's let's go back again to um, I suppose your recovery and how yeah. food then became a big chunk of your life because you know you're an incredibly talented, gifted, creative person. You can do a lot of stuff, Thank you. and food is obviously a, 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 a love and a passion of yours. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. So you am I right in thinking then you went off to France and New Zealand and you did some really cool stuff? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I couldn't have predicted that I'd be able to do those kind of things, but like after um, you know a few months of being treated and things did settle down, I still had really like. I think I had bad phases, but the phases started to get further apart. That's what the kind of recovery looked like for me. So I'd kind of have like two weeks of like the old thoughts back and it would be maybe not quite as intense as the kind of original period, but like I'd every time think, oh my God, I'm never going to be free of this. I'm never going to be free of this. You know, it was really hard to kind of get through those 
patches, those phases. But I did um, basically decide to go traveling. So I kind of worked, I did a temp job for a while, like, because I had been, we'd been about to go traveling when it all happened, actually. So my uh, boyfriend and my friends went on ahead. I said, please go, because I couldn't cope with the idea that they were waiting for me to be well enough, you know? So they went and I was working um, in the IFSC in this really funny temp job. And um, it was it was so different to what I knew because I'd yeah. been in art college for years and I'd never like and I worked in like I did waiting uh, all through college, worked in restaurants and stuff. So like this was brand new going to a nine to five and like, you know, answering the phones and stuff it was like playing a part. And I did gradually just start to get better. Then I lived a very quiet life. I moved back in with my parents. I was very lucky I could do that. Mm. And I had this job and I used to go swimming in the Markovich every morning before work and just do lengths and just like just trying to put into practice all the things I was being taught in um, therapy and About stuff. About minding yourself. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And just slowing down and trying to help slow my brain down. And um, so I went then traveling and I went to travel and visit New Zealand and with my friends and my boyfriend and ended up staying there for two years and training as a chef like in restaurants in New Zealand. And it was just so random because I think everyone was like, I just knew I didn't think I'd ever be able to do art again. I felt like that was a part of the old me, the person I had been, and I wasn't that person anymore. And I didn't really know who or what I was, you know, but I kind of felt like I needed to kind of relearn how to live. Um, mm. I suppose like most people feel like you probably felt that after your cancer that like yeah, yeah. you have this illness and it derails you completely. Yeah, totally. And you do you're just living quietly afterwards. You're like every kind of, you feel like you're on a borrowed day kind of every day, like, and it just takes so long to calm back down from the kind of terror of it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, it, a lot of people were like, that seems like an unusual, you know, next step to learn how to be a chef and work in kitchens. Cause like, obviously it's hectic. Um, but actually it kept me really in the moment. I think that's why I loved it so much. It, there's no kind of, it's not very overthinky in the way that art might be. It was just like, do this, that happens, get that out there to table 10. You know, yeah. it's just so in the moment when you're on shift and I just loved it. I didn't actually have that massive interest in food before I became a chef. And like, it, obviously we're, I worked with great people and it kind of like fostered it. And like New Zealand's amazing place for food. Um, I don't know, I think it's just because there's like, you know, great collision of cultures and their produce is amazing, very similar to Ireland in that way. And so I then moved to France uh, with my husband, uh, well, my boyfriend, he was still my boyfriend at the time. And uh, we worked in chalets in the Alps for four years. And so I had gotten into snowboarding, you see, down Very in cool. New Zealand. We both started snowboarding and loved it. And so you, you're, you're one of these people as well who, um, so I know you cycled here today. You said you swim, snowboarding. Uh, I know you got into pole dancing in a massive way, which I, I can't wait to talk to you about. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. like, you know, exercise, physical activity, is that part of your, um, I suppose, wellness toolkit as well? Definitely. I think it's really part of the kind of like trying to be have the mindfulness kind of piece. Mm. Um, see, I'm not very good at, well, I have no interest in meditating. I'll put it that way. Okay. <laughs> I feel like unpopular statement no, but look, well in done 2022. You know what? I'm sure there's plenty of people who would feel the same, but just wouldn't have the balls to say it. Well, a lot of people, <laughs> and I would have used to say this is like, I'm not good at meditating. And I, I think you meditate so you know yourself. It's not about being 
good at it there's yeah, no, no good no there's no good it's about you know doing it whereas I, I think I can hold my hand up and be like I don't want to do it but you know what I'm a big believer <laughs> in this idea of what they call dynamic meditation and that can be things yeah. like swimming or on a bike yeah. and that is a form of meditation and I find that with dancing so much like I've never really even tapped into anything quite like it in terms of just you're talking about the pole dancing yeah just being in the moment let's talk about it now so oh yeah go on because yeah. it's so cool and you're <laughs> really you're really good at it oh, and, and, and I've, I've always thought like that takes so much core and body strength to do that and obviously it's 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 strong it's empowering it's very graceful and it's probably really hard to make look smooth as as, as you do how'd you get into it um, well, I got into it in lockdown two, I believe it was. Okay. Um, the sequel. Um, I think was I this, just... If you don't mind me asking, mm. was this after, you know, your, your... My last big breakdown. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. it was. It was about January of 2021. Right. And actually what had happened was, so I was, I was a keen runner. Now running overstatement, I would say just jog just a very light jog a lot of sweating and <laughs> Still so though. I'd always have done that actually through the years uh you know around my pregnancies kind of although I ran quite late into my last pregnancy and I remember people looking a little bit un- uneasy as I'd like very slowly jog past to the big valley <laughs> but um you know I was lucky enough I had pretty uncomplicated pregnancies yeah, so yeah, I was yeah. able to do that sure. and um so I used to jog and then I got COVID in January of 2021 and I actually had really long lasting breathing problems like loads of people Yeah, and was put on, you know, inhalers and things like that. And um, so I could not, I kind of in February, I was like, I think I'm ready to go back to running. And I would have gone every kind of second day or something. And I wouldn't do long distances, just a poodle around for half an hour. And I really enjoyed it. And, um, I went out for my first run and all seemed fine. Like my fitness was kind of still grand. But when I got back, my chest was in bits. And I, for the next about week, all the breathing stuff came back really bad. And I was like, okay, God. And like, then a few people were kind of chatting to me about it and being like, oh, maybe just like, would you do a bit of strength training instead? That's kind of less sort of cardio. And I thought, oh God, that sounds really boring. But at so the what, time- So what, what was it like? Pilates or pole dancing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, totally. I, well, somebody was like weights and I was like, ooh, okay. And um, so I think I was really deep into pole dancing Insta already. Like okay. I love watching pole dancing. Yeah, how did you get into it? Just by just following watching, accounts? Just following different accounts. Like it's loads of amazing Irish pole dancers. Like pole dancing really, like it's a big thing here. I know loads of people who do it. Yeah. Um, and so I started following a woman called Arlene Caffrey, who is, um, she runs Irish um, Pole Dancing Academy. Cool. And she's um, out of Dublin 3, so very near me. And um, although I couldn't go to in-person classes, so what I did was I joined her patron and paid every month for all her videos and learned through all her videos. And I had like a one-on-one Zoom lesson one day, uh, which was really amazing, really bizarre. But basically I was really deep into uh, pole dancing. So obviously for the the pole dancing, sorry if I couldn't cross Mm. you, but you need the pole. Well, that's it. That's Where'd... what I was about to say. <laughs> okay. So I was like, oh my God, this is a big commitment purchase now, like a pole for something I've never really done, never done. And again, and also anyone who's listening, like you can do elements without the pole. Like if you want to kind of try right. out and you're not sure if you want to, 
invest there is stuff you can do at home without a pole and you can also obviously go to class and they have a pole but I couldn't because it was locked down too and uh, so I went on done deal I love done deal I'm <laughs> never you? I'm never far from done deal like my last done deal bender is only ever a few days ago you know um, and uh, <laughs> like I'm sober so like this is where I get my uh, dopamine <laughs> I guess and uh, on done deal I found a second hand pole and I was like ah, there we go I it's mine I got it I drove out to a gal uh, who luckily was in my 5k and you know we did the handover and my husband and my mother were so skeptical (laughs) they were like this is total do they think it was just a fact lunacy yeah they were like oh this is one of Sophie's things and um but like my things tend to stick like in a way. Can I ask how it works? Because I'm, I'm imagining mm. the pole needs to be really secure to take the weight of a, of a human body. Totally. Yeah. So how does one. It's uh, braced. braced. So it's braced between the floor and the ceiling. OK. And like even in here might be too high a ceiling. Yeah, I think it would. Um, like in my house, the ceilings are quite high, but I we had had them lowered the upstairs ceilings when we converted our attic okay. and so I was able to put it up in our house in the baby's room in the baby's room yeah Brilliant. well is the baby's room come office and then come pole dancing studio <laughs> and uh, so it's a very like Gross. we're wringing every bit of function out of this room yeah and I put it up I will say I did have a spill on it actually I dragged it down um, a few weeks in because what I'd done was I didn't really think about it but I had a rug right um and I'd put it on top of the rug and between the rug and the ceiling. And actually, I think the pressure over time had pushed the rug. Okay. Do you know that kind of way? Okay, so it okay. had actually lost some of its brace. So that was funny. What, you had a tumble? I did. Oh, I, no. I was doing a fireman spin, which involves, well, all pole dancing involves trusting the pole. Yeah. And I just pulled it down. Oh, dear. And I took a slice out of the wall. And uh, like to this day, I've managed to lie about what happened <laughs> to that bit of the wall. Until and now. like my husband never listens back to anything I oh, ever Oh, does he do. not? Okay, he'll never Jeez, hear no, this. He gets enough of it live. He definitely <laughs> wouldn't seek it out. Um, so, oh my God, I pretended that I'd had a spill moving a couch <laughs> high up on the wall. Like he was like, he just, yeah, he just like was like, okay. I mean, the things he comes in on me doing for work and stuff, like, with the creep dive one of the podcasts I do it can be quite surreal like I was doing a video one day for the creep dive that involved nailing pieces of toast to the wall (laughs) so he just has uh, he just has this kind of a complete indifference to whatever I'm doing never bats an eyelid so I put the pole up I did eventually get it more secure and I just started doing it and it was really you know it was actually really hard at the beginning well you build up the strength like all I ever hear people say about pole dancing is I've no upper body strength and like you just point out it's not really about upper body strength it's about core strength yeah okay I mean and then yes some upper body strength but it all comes with the conditioning exercises and stuff like that and it was pretty. I would imagine pretty phenomenal postpartum because you know I am nearly six months now postpartum and I definitely have you know a very round uh, belly after having two yeah, babies yeah well I have a round belly too yeah and just, you know that's after okay. just living my life eating my food yeah. I'm sure doing the pole dancing has been amazing for just toning and just yeah. that strength and I think what it's really amazing for as well is just like meeting your body on its terms and okay. like getting it definitely gave, it gave me a lot of confidence uh, in my body like 
just in a kind of a, I suppose I'd always gone along thinking I'm quite a clunky person. I'm not very like dancing is very beautiful and I'm not graceful. Like obviously I do lots Things of different kinds ourselves. of sports, but like mm. exactly. Mm. It's the whole narrative that you feed yourself about like I can't do this. And I think yeah. it helped me kind of learn also that it's not really about what you look like like this is something I, I think we totally forget and I'm kind of learning it at the moment because I've taken up roller skating and which I think is kind of almost a cousin of pole dancing they share so, certain similarities yeah. like my pole dancing style and that's the thing I got really into the clothes of it really quickly like I thought you know you need the right stuff like I always would have thought oh I need to earn the right to buy pole dancing shoes and then I was like I mean I'm 35 like or 36 at the time just buy your pole dancing shoes like who cares treat where, yourself where did you, was that a done deal purchase <laughs> actually no 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 I did try because I love secondhand things and they are serious are they serious, like platforms yeah. oh like 8 inch yeah wow. you've got a big box under the toe that's like even more than a platform but they're actually a tool for the dancing like there are moves that the pole dancing shoes are essential for do you feel really sexy when you're doing it like no not not all the time no not at all but I really? definitely just enjoy it well, you don't maybe- have to be good at your hobby Okay. Like you can just be, you can just be crap at it. I'm crap at roller skating at the moment. Absolutely love it. And I think I am not that, but I'm not good at, I mean, I'm grand at pole dancing as in like, I'm at my little level and I'll probably never really be, you know, I can't give it the time that it would take to be really good at it. But like, you don't have to be good at your hobby. You just enjoy it, you know? Maybe sexy is the wrong word then. Is it powerful? Like, how does it make you feel? It makes me feel really relaxed. Just and gives okay. me a lot of like just endorphins and as in just the actual physicality of it. And it gives me a lot of satisfaction and joy when I surprise myself with it. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like I don't actually think loads about how it looks, you know? That's I do really video cool. it yeah. like and put some of it on my Instagram and I make videos for myself with it like I've made kind of progress videos so there's one move that like is not beautiful it's like a it's a pull-up crunch is what it's called and you kind of hold the pole to your right or left and you raise your legs and lower them raise and lower raise and lower and like that sounds sounds simple but I remember the very first day trying to do them and they're really in they're integral I think to building your strength like okay. that's they kind of they work every aspect that you need to get strong and so I remember the first day I did them I think I managed like got one on each side and like sloppy they looked very sloppy and I was kind of hanging out of my arms instead of kind of holding my whole core and everything and then like about two or three months later I was able to do 20 on each side and I think like that's not it's not like a beautiful dance but it's amazing achievement for me yeah and even like I did my first headstand last year like and like I don't even think I could do it right now today because I'm not really like up on my tip-top fitness but like I do you know, I think you just go through life being like, I'll probably never do a handstand. I'm not a handstand person. So it was very exciting. Yeah, to of like course, of course. Do it's a great achievement. Do a headstand yeah. up against yeah, yeah, the wall. Yeah. But yeah. Like, you know. No, no, I get that completely. Yeah, yeah. Um, as you said, like we, we have these stories that we tell ourselves. Um, mm. And I know when it comes to certain yoga moves, I would like, no, no, I can't do that. And, and then yeah. you find yourself slowly but surely getting there and, and doing you know um, postures that before you wouldn't have thought you would have been able to do um, does your hobby enjoy uh, the pole dancing <laughs> the spectacle of it no well 
well, he kind of again very. Or is that way too personal? No, no. I mean, I have never. I've never like put on a show for him at all. I'd be like, here, look what Why I on did earth today. Not? I'd just be like, look at look at this that I mastered, and it'd be like me hanging upside well, down. I again, I suppose that's what's cool about it. You're not doing it for him. You're doing no, it for you. You're definitely you. not. Yeah. I know you're a lover of knitting. I am. I am. Oh my god! Like it's amazing that I'm not knitting right now. And I can see you're playing with your hair. Do you feel like is it because it's it's lovely? It's it's like. Do you feel like you need to be doing something always with your yeah, hands? Yeah, yeah. I think I do. I've yeah. very busy hands. Yeah. yeah, and it helps me kind of just relax and focus. And again, is that a, it's like a form of meditation, probably. Totally. Like I knit while I watch TV, and I knit while I read, and I knit while I do some of my work. Like because a lot of my work would be if you looked at me it wouldn't look like I was doing anything but in my head I'm working out plots or I'm working out characters and you know that's so knitting big big part of my life I love knitting yeah speaking of plots let's talk about your latest book it's your fifth one it's called The Snag List I'm hearing great reports oh thank you Um, so it is am I right in thinking it's a story of three pals who um basically decide to to revisit experiences um and push themselves out of their comfort zone and have the crack totally yeah it's about um three women they kind of become friends by, by moving to this kind of new build estate called monterey valley that's like this kind of hyper sort of uh futuristic almost kind of stepfordy sort of estate where everything is done for you it's like right, okay. high lux living it's kind of like gated community you know keeps the residents in and the real world out right they have everything there they never need to leave and um, so it's almost like a pastel dystopia like every all the adults have like their life curator that is basically the person who kind of like tr- polishes all the rough edges off their lives so even like it's not even like I mean, obviously everything's cooked for them. Everything's cleaned for them. But it's even like the more low-grade sounds, stuff. Sounds kind of perfect. I know. I mean, on paper. <laughs> but then if you think like, about it, it's like, that. it's almost like, <laughs> it's there's a weirdness to it. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Definitely. Like they have things like, um, it's a bit like having an adult au pair. So okay. yes, it does sound amazing. Um, <laughs> but I think when they're kind of like left then to kind of, they have too much time then for their thoughts yeah. and all these kind of life regrets and they're craving the rawness of, and the realness well that's it like yeah you don't want this neutered existence no. so then they kind of start contemplating the life snags and what if you could kind of tick them all off a list yeah, you know yeah. so everything they do to try and fix their regrets wreaks havoc in their day-to-day lives their yeah. their current lives so that's it's kind of about regrets I think it's about kind of getting to that stage in your life where you're kind of you're settled down quote-unquote settled down and you start to believe that things really are off the menu in terms of what you thought your life could be and like there's things like the great things in your life are also the things that kind of shut down these possibilities like having kids like the reality is after kids you're not really gonna maybe go back and try for your West End dreams do you know what I mean so I was very interested in all those questions and I think we're in a kind of a a space in time like here and now in 2022 where it's there's such a promise of you can have everything and do everything and does it pan out you know that's the kind of question of the book like you know I suppose the obvious question then to you is like you know when you're writing these fictional characters are you reflecting on your own life and the stuff because you've done a hell of a lot of stuff in your life I mean look we I, I you know we've touched on 
your passions, different things that you've done, but mm. you are um you are somebody who is brave in your in your life choices. Um and, and you tend to kind of go for it from what I can see. Mm. Um but would you have any any regrets? I think with my career and stuff, I tend to have things on my list in my head that like I don't have like five year plans, but I have things I would love to create. Um and one of the things is I'd love to create a musical around my last book, Corpsing, okay. which yeah. is a work of nonfiction and uh is about a lot of the things we discussed today. So And we um, only touched on we only touched on grief when you mm. said it's like that feeling of when you wake up when you were talking about those moments, little little glimmers of of is everything okay? It's like when you mm. are deep in grief and you wake up and you for a moment things are okay and then it kind of comes in a wave mm, um mm. i know the 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 death of your father was was huge mm. and and because i suppose you unfortunately you and your mother um and those who knew and loved him had years of coming to terms with his decline yeah yeah it was very kind of long illness for him and yeah just like not something that you would like wish on your worst enemy I mean it's it's just such a cruel thing like it I it felt connected in a funny way to kind of like you know being mentally ill like it's the it's just the very core of who you are your brain like you just need it so badly mm. and alzheimer's obviously just uh you know completely um attacks that and erodes it and yeah it was just um it's just so hard for him and for everyone and it went on for such a long time that you almost become like just hardened against it you know, I don't know, like if people kind of can relate, like if you've kind of been at a bedside for we're talking years, like I think really as well, like his last three years were just this absolute slog through, you know, just loving this person who's gone, you know, is very hard. And I think like funny enough, like I think with this book coming out, a lot of people have asked me like if there's anything I'd go back do I have regrets is there anything I'd go back and I feel like I've deflected the question for the most part because my regret is so uh you know just unremediable <laughs> and it's that you know I feel like I didn't do right by him as his daughter I didn't do enough I just feel like maybe maybe we come out of something like that and we never have a sense that we did enough um, I feel like if it I mean I, I hope obviously that I don't have to watch another person die so excruciatingly um, but I feel like if I did I feel like oh I'll be better at it next time <laughs> which is a <laughs> totally bleak and morbid thing to think um, so yeah I think that's like definitely my big my big regret is that and I think like you see in writing the book, I did, um, you know, do a lot of research about regret and the kind of schools of thought around it are that it's really useful. Regret is a useful feeling. Like so when people say, oh, I don't do regrets, 
that like it's shutting down the potential to kind of learn and learn about yourself through regrets mm. and you know so I guess you know I have to kind of come to terms with my regrets there is no way to fix it um, and just I guess to kind of to use it as the only thing to do um, and I guess forgive yourself where you can um, and so yeah I guess I just try to to use it for some kind of positive yeah and I think maybe writing about it has ended up being that in a way um, I think a lot of people maybe can't understand about writing something so intimate um, but it helped well genuinely from hearing from people it helped people like it, there's real people that got something out of um, what I had to say about it it's not revelation for the sake of revelation you know and also it's you know um, it's non-fiction that work say corpsing which uh, you know I talked a lot about the illness and that um, but it's kind of you know it's still something that's very shaped and very uh, worked upon and uh, edited I wouldn't say that I hold back but there is something I want to say and there's a specific way I want to say it and it's not just revealing it's not just you know like I said it's not just revelation for the sake of revelation yeah. I want to ask questions about how we just navigate the world and you know um, so that's it yeah so I mean especially with Alzheimer's um, you know I feel like it's just something that's becoming more and more talked about and say when he got his diagnosis I felt like it just felt so alien as well that like this person is so young like yeah. um, was going to contend with that and we just didn't talk about it like that was our kind of method of dealing with it and now obviously I've gone the complete opposite direction yeah. um, but I do kind of think that like it's the only way to process things is to articulate them even if you're not telling thousands of people in your writing or or whatever mm. it's to articulate them to yourself even you know whereas I think I did so much like deep denial about what I was experiencing like I denied almost like the reality of it and I denied how it was affecting me okay like it was all about powering through and never acknowledging you know everything's fine everything's fine everything's kind of fine right. oh yeah. god yeah. Yeah, hmm. yeah 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 and like now I just wouldn't bother I think with that and the thread that runs through this entire conversation is 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 that is is the speaking up and talking about it mm. um and through that I think you're giving permission to others to do the same whether it is illness or or you know career change or relationship or mm. or losing a loved one or whatever it is that um yeah really first of all acknowledging it with yourself is is so important yeah yeah absolutely and then that it's okay that it's not fine because you know when you're going through a shit time it rarely is fine mm, totally 
Yeah, you're amazing. I would love. I would talk to you <laughs> for the rest of the day, but I know you have to. You have a life to get back to, um, and and uh, you know you're a fascinating person. I'm so delighted uh, that we connected because uh, I've been a long time admirer of oh, yours. Thank you. Thanks so much um, for your very kind words. No, just 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 the <laughs> truth. Um, and I love the fact that you know when you went through 2007. Um, that your then boyfriend is is your life's partner and you have three boys together. I mm. mean, wow. Talk about testing your relationship. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure it goes both ways and life is not easy for any of us, but you've had a lot of stuff thrown at you and, and look at you now. It's yeah, still, still yeah. going strong. No, we're good partnership. We're very good friends and that's not, that hasn't changed. Yeah. And yeah. I felt like I changed a lot from the person he thought he was getting involved with. Um, but like you said, we all do. We all change. Yeah, we all and change. He's a very, very exceptional person. Like, mm. I really think that I feel lucky, just so lucky to have him. And that's it. Like, he just wouldn't be a person who would be, you know, like turned off by anything like that do you know what I mean he so just cool. you know he's exactly he's so cool like yeah yeah, yeah. what um, a keeper I love <laughs> it love it well look the book is the snag list um, it's already uh, I, I'm already seeing people just say I've just read it cover to cover in a matter of hours or days <laughs> so people are loving it um, and you can get it in all good bookshops Sophie thanks a million thank you If you like this conversation, you might enjoy my episode with Alistair Campbell from January 2021, in which similar topics are explored. You've been listening to Ready To Be Real. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.